Welcome to Red Maryland Radio, the Red Maryland Network's flagship show. Here are your hosts, Brian Griffiths and Greg Klein. Hello and welcome to an all-new installment of Red Maryland Radio here on the Red Maryland Network. Hi, I'm your host, Greg Klein. Flying solo this week, Brian Griffiths is, uh, well, he's not even in America. He's uh, he's in Canada. And, um, you know, some people say America, love it or leave it. Well, I love America, and I'll leave the rest to you. We are broadcasting live from the Jim Plunkett Studios in the heart of the business district here in Severna Park and the bucolic western shore of Maryland. Uh, we've got a jam-packed show for you tonight. We're going to want you to, to give us your feedback as you listen. RedMaryland at gmail.com or on Facebook, facebook.com slash RedMaryland on Twitter, at RedMaryland. You can leave us all of that great feedback. Okay, here's what we've got on store, on tap, in store for you tonight. We're in the last week of the 2019 Maryland General Assembly session, thankfully. And as we will give you the latest on all the mostly terrible news that's coming through, some real head scratchers, some just bad ideas that are bubbling up. Some will make it to signy die. Maybe some won't. Some will be uh, signed by the governor, perhaps, if they get to his desk. Some vetoed. That'll be a discussion for another time. But we'll cover all that here in the first break. In the second break, I want to share some audio with you. Uh, we took a little snippet from the debate on the House of Delegates floor uh, a couple weeks ago on the passage of the Minimum Wage Act, the increase of the minimum wage to $15 per hour. If you have ever wondered, what are these people thinking in Annapolis? And you're not someone who's ever taken the time to really listen to these these delegates, in this case, or, or members of the General Assembly debate these issues. This is going to be a little eye-opening. I just want to take a snippet of a couple of the Democrats who are who are arguing for this. And um, it's going to be pretty eye-opening. And we've got the clip to the entire three-hour debate at redmaryland.com on the show page. You want to listen to that. And in the last segment, look, uh, the uh, mayor of Baltimore, uh, Catherine Pugh, uh, is under a lot of criticism, uh, a lot of investigation, uh, pending criminal charges, perhaps coming down the road. A lot of questions about her propriety, uh, understandably, in this brewing, exploding UMS scandal. Uh, but before all of that actually broke, she actually did something good. Uh, and I wanted to share that with you. A little Something you probably haven't heard about and uh, doesn't make up for all the bad stuff she's done. We certainly are not withdrawing our request for her to resign. But uh, if this is the last thing she did before the scandal hit, uh, well, just stay tuned. You'll hear that. All that tonight here on Red Maryland Radio. Hey, I want you all to know that we are sponsored tonight by our good friends at the Frederick County Republican Party, uh, and they invite you to their annual Lincoln Reagan Day dinner, which will be held on the Lincoln the Linganor Winery, located at uh, 13601 Glistens Mill Road in Mount Airy, on Friday, May the 10th. Uh, their keynote speaker is Ohio Congressman Jim Jordan. You'll want to stay tuned for that. He's a great speaker. Dinner starts at 7, VIP reception at 6. For more tickets and information, contact our good friend Joey Lynn Huff at joeylynnh at comcast.net. 
And there's information at redmaryland.com. You can check that out as well. And that's brought to you by the authority, Frederick County Republican Central Committee, Joey Lynn Huff, Treasurer. So thank the, those guys for sponsoring tonight's show. All right, let's get into it. We're getting down to the last week. Signy Die is Monday night at midnight, if memory serves. You all can correct me if I'm wrong on that. So we are in the last week of the General Assembly session. This is when many of the really, really, really bad ideas, some of them sneak through under the radar. There's already been some bad ideas, some some lobbyists getting paid off on changes to how we do certain kind of court cases and all that kind of stuff. That's fun. Uh, not getting a lot of coverage. Some bad bills that are trying to squeeze through at the last minute, uh, going through lightning speed. Many bills that probably shouldn't be passed with wide bipartisan margins or even unanimously are doing so. I'm going to give you an example of one here in just a second. And uh, maybe, maybe, if we're lucky, the bell will toll at midnight on Monday and some of these bad ideas just don't get through. So let's give you the update. Here's the latest. So let's start with uh, the Maryland State Senate approved a two-year plan for $700 million in extra funding for state schools. You've, I'm sure you've probably heard about this. This is the plan to the blueprint, as it's being called, to fund the Kerwin Commission, to implement the uh, Kerwin Commission's recommendations. We've been talking about Kerwin for months, for years, really, here at RedMaryland.com. It is an absolute boondoggle. The Kerwin Commission, for those of you who don't know, was a handpicked, excuse me, a handpicked commission by General Assembly Democrats uh, whose design was to find a way to massively increase state spending on state spending on education, ostensibly to give Maryland the greatest public education system in the country, nay, the world, and price was no object. And when you looked at the recommendations that they came up with, not only did they not spend a lot of time considering the price and spending no time considering how we would pay for it, um, they, they spent a lot of time, you know, we're going to pay teachers more. We're going to expand public education by having more pre-K education. Uh, you know, on and on and on. The, the price tag on this, that which we reported and the Maryland Reporter actually got uh, about a year ago, it's going to be about $4.4 billion a year when it's fully implemented. Okay? Uh, how much of that the state's going to pay? How much of that is going to be shunted down to localities and go on your property taxes and other local county taxes and locality taxes? We'll see. But we don't have $4 billion a year that we ain't already spending. And um, it's going to be interesting to see, which is why... The fact that Maryland senators voted Wednesday to approve a two-year plan to spend more than $700 million in extra funding for state schools. The bill called the Blueprint for Maryland's Future, this is from our friend Pam Wood at the uh, Baltimore Sun, now moves to the House of Delegates, which is expected to move swiftly in the final days of the General Assembly session. The Senate vote was 43 to 1. Okay? Stick a pen in that. We're going to come back to that. Senator Paul Pinsky, chairman of the Senate's Education Committee, described the bill this week as a first step toward a decade's worth of increased investment. That means lots of spending. And even a guy like Paul Pinsky, who's the biggest cheerleader of this, has said that it will be incredibly expensive and require massive tax increases to pay for it. 
Okay, the Democrats in Annapolis are thinking, well, we'll just legalize and tax weed and and gambling. And we, we talked about that before here on the show. Okay, but everybody's cheerleading this. This is such a great idea that we have this this blueprint, this down payment. The Democrats talking about this as year zero, taking some French Revolution language here, a new era in public education spending. And apparently, for reasons that absolutely mystify me, and I would love to be educated because I'm obviously missing something here, good conservative Republicans in the state Senate, like our friends uh, Mike Huff and Justin Reedy and J.B. Jennings and uh, Steve Hershey, uh, they're all voting for this and cheerleading this. Like, this is so great that we had to have Kerwin. Meanwhile, the Democrats are taking this uh, 43 to 1 vote and saying, okay, we're in a new era. Now we have to go forward. The, the down payment has been made now. Now, the bill itself has provisions in there with, with breaks in it that the spending won't happen if we can't afford it. And there's some other amendments that were made. But the way this is being sold, the way this is being talked about by the proponents of this is that we've essentially signed and made the down payment on the new Ferrari. We don't know how we're going to pay for the Ferrari, but we bought it. We got the keys now, and now we got to figure out how to make the payments. It's going to be really, really hard for Republicans, conservative Republicans, to come back two, three, four years out from now and say, wait a minute, we can't afford this. This was a bad idea from the beginning because they all voted for it. Okay, they voted for what is being called the blueprint. They're talking about, and I've seen Republicans even do, cheerleading this idea that we, we need Kerwin. We have to have Kerwin. We can't afford it, so why do we need to have it? Um, I, I'm just baffled by this. But 43 to 1, here's some more from what the Baltimore Sun says about it. Uh, Part of the bill provides money for teacher salaries, uh, requires local school districts to show that they're already increasing uh, teacher salary by at least 3%. So, by the way, a mandate for your localities to increase spending and taxes. Those districts would get a uh, state match of 1.5% for a total boost in pay of 4.5% for teachers. So most of that's going to come from the localities. The programs are among those recommended by the Kerwin Commission, which has been reviewing the state's education system and its funding for the past couple of years. The commission is named for its chairman, William Britt Kerwin, former chancellor of the state university system. The Kerwin Commission issued a lengthy report with a series of recommendations, but has not yet developed a related funding plan. And by the way, 43 state senators voted for this, knowing that they do not have and have not developed a funding plan. Okay. They put breaks in the bill because we don't know if we'll be able to afford this. Yet they went ahead and passed something that is being called the blueprint. We are now in year zero. Okay? This is the camel's nose under the tent for the entire $4 billion a year in operating spending for public education that we don't have on top of everything else. Keep in mind, we spend, this year we spent a record amount on K-12 education in Maryland, it was about $7.5 billion. If you fully implement Kerwin, that's another $4 billion. That's over a 50% increase over what we spent, which was a record this year. Are the numbers kind of mind-boggling? They should be. 
And even the Democrats know it's going to be expensive. Even the Democrats know we're going to have to raise taxes to do it. The game that the Democrats have played, just like they've done in the past, the whole the whole game behind Kerwin was to get everybody locked in and buy the Ferrari, sign the contract, and then, well, we got to find a way to make the payments. And for the life of me, I don't understand not only how Republicans can vote for this, but can go out and act like this was a good thing. I mean, I saw I saw good conservative Republicans. I saw Steve Hershey cheering his vote on this. Now, I know, because I've we've had him at our leadership conference and we've talked to him, he doesn't want to raise taxes. He knows we can't afford to fully implement the recommendations of the Kerwin Commission. So why is this passing such a great thing? Okay, and a lot of these recommendations are, you know, the ones that are really important, teacher salary increases, uh, expanding government-run uh, schools to, to toddlers through pre-K. Um, why are those good ideas? And by the way, there's, there's something they put in here that uh, is going to require some uh, oversight. They didn't take the governor's bill that just required oversight. The oversight that's in here, and we had an article from Paul Pinsky uh, a couple months ago, Senator Pinsky, who's the big cheerleader of this, who said the real oversight is going to be making sure the localities follow through on what the state is mandating through the Kerwin Commission's recommendations. See what I'm saying? The, the governor wanted oversight to make sure the money we're already spending is being spent properly. What the Democrats want is to make sure localities are doing what the state's telling them to do. These, these hypocritical champions of local school board control of local education when it comes to the school calendar, when they don't like what the governor or the comptroller is doing, have just passed, as part of this blueprint, by the way, senators who voted for this, uh, someone who's going to oversee to make sure that their program, the Kerwin program, is being implemented locally. A top-down model when it comes to oversight. A top-down model, uh, model when it comes to mandating how things are done. Not so much a top-down model when it comes to how they're going to fund it. Anyway, so that passed. I'm sure it will sail through the House. I'm sure the governor will sign this with still some fanfare. But someone is going to have to explain to me, because I am an absolute loss. I, I can understand the Democrats ramrodding this through, but I'm missing something. I'm obviously disconnected somehow. The governor came out a couple weeks ago and had a blistering press conference where he talked about the Democrats passing mandatory spending that we can't afford. There is no bigger example of that than uh, the Kerwin Commission recommendations. Now, this bill we can pay for. This bill's in the budget. This bill is is baked into what's going on this year and next year. But beyond that, how are we going to say we're not committed to it? How are we going to reduce that spending without the Democrats saying, hey, wait a minute, you voted for this. Now you're now you're going back on your promise to the kids. This was this was a new era. You you supported this. You supported the blueprint. Now you don't want to fund it. Now you want to underfund our schools. I mean, I, for the life of me, I don't see how you don't see this as a trap. But anyway, that passed. Let's go to another issue here. Um, the legislature raised uh, minimum smoking age to 21. Not a lot of surprise there. Uh, I talked about this this morning on WGMD. Uh, uh, there's a bill like this in Delaware as well. Many of you who don't smoke probably didn't know that that was the smoking age. 
one of my main criticisms of this is that it also applies to e-cigarettes, which many doctors and health uh, health policy advocates say is one much safer than cigarettes and a better alternative for people who are addicted to nicotine than cigarettes. Yet they're all treated the same. Now, kids shouldn't be doing either one. Fine. Um, but it's interesting that, again, they want to make it more difficult for uh, young people to get smoked tobacco. Yet at the same time, we're going to be debating next year full recreational legalization of marijuana. And by the way, smoked marijuana is every bit as harmful as smoked tobacco. Uh, as far as the carcinogenics, the THC and all that compared to nicotine is even more dangerous but that's a story for another day. But that has passed. Likely the governor will sign that as well. All right. Now, here's a fun one we've been talking about. The handgun uh, board repeal uh, goes to the full House. The Senate, uh, again, approved this. This is to get rid of the handgun permit review board, which has oversight of the um, uh, the state police in the issuance of uh, concealed carry permits. We've talked about this many, many times. This is actually a gun control bill that I would expect the governor to veto because this is a direct assault on his prerogatives as governor and having this this board there, and they've been knocking his uh, his appointees. Um, this governor's not doesn't have a great record on guns. I mean, I'm not going to sugarcoat that. We all know that he's he's signed and s- supported various gun control measures. Though I would say he tends to support uh, going after criminals who use guns. Many of those proposals he put forward are just languishing in the legislature. But this is one that um, we'll see. We'll see if uh, what he does with it. I would be I would be very very quizzical if the governor didn't sign this uh, or didn't veto this. Excuse me. Uh, there probably will be the votes to override it, but that'll be for next session, and we'll see what happens. Again, this is this is an issue where. The governor has appointed people to state boards who have issued uh, permits, who have overruled the state police in denying or putting limitations on concealed carry permits, and more people were able to exercise their Second Amendment rights vis-a-vis the concealed carry permit process because of the governor's appointees, and the Democrats want to get rid of the entire board as a result. I think the governor deserves a little bit of credit from that from the 2A community, but I know I'm in the minority on that. All right. So these are these are some of the bad ideas that are bubbling up. Now you're thinking to yourself, what is the mindset of these people in Annapolis who are passing these things? There's so many bad ideas. These we just mentioned. We've talked previously about um, the the fifteen dollar round minimum wage and others. Well, when we come back from the break, I've got a little bit of the audio from the House debate on the minimum wage, and. I'll I'll set it up when we come back, but wonder no more what the thought process is down there. If you if you haven't heard debate on the House of Delegates floor on an issue like this, and you wonder how could these people do this, I think you'll you'll it'll be eye opening uh, when you hear it. So all that when we come back after the break, you're listening to Red Maryland Radio here. If I can bring up my soundboard, which I will do absolutely on the Red Maryland Network. We want to hear from you. Email us at any time at redmaryland at gmail.com. You can also leave audio feedback on a Red Maryland talkback line at 410-205-4875. 
We might use your feedback on our programming. You are listening to Maryland's most trusted conservative voice, the Red Maryland Network. Be sure to follow Red Maryland on all of the major social networking sites. You can follow us at Red Maryland on Facebook, Twitter, Pinterest, Google+, Snapchat, and Tumblr to get the latest from Red Maryland. And be sure to follow the home base for all things Red Maryland, redmaryland.com. Celebrating five years as Maryland's only network that matters, you're listening to the Red Maryland Network. We're back here on Red Maryland Radio, on the Red Maryland Network. I am your host, Greg Klein, flying solo. Uh, noted Trump critic Brian Griffiths is in Canada for reasons that boggle one's mind, but uh, that's where he is. I guess he'll be back sometime. I don't know. I hope you enjoy it with him. All right, now look, I talked a little. I gave you the update from the General Assembly. You've been hearing us talk about the General Assembly throughout session this year. The insane stuff, if you've been reading what we've been writing at redmaryland.com, if you've been following what's going on, and you think even remotely like we do, you just look at this as an insane asylum and a lot of people who have a lot of really bad ideas passing really bad laws. So what I wanted to do, for those of you, many of you are very active and may have heard debates in the past um, on the House floor. You can hear them online. You can't don't have video yet, which will be kind of important uh, and, and keep stick a pen in that. Hopefully that's coming soon. We're told it is. It's right around the corner. Uh, it's Presumably we could pass a bill to mandate it, but whatever. That, that's another story for another day. I'm going to play for you just a snippet. We have the link to the entire three-hour debate on the House of Delegates for final passage of the, uh, the $15 an hour minimum wage bill. But I want you to hear a little bit of the debate. Now, I am, if you've listened to Red Maryland Radio for a long time, you know that I am someone who is fond of saying that you will never walk into the General Assembly and mistake it for a Mensa convention. Uh, you won't, okay? And I, I'd love to say that it's just the Dems. That's kind of a bipartisan thing, if I'm being perfectly honest. Uh, what you're going to hear are people who... are elected and have a political philosophy that the government should do more and more to control people's lives. They pass laws that impact the lives of every single Marylander every day and feel that that is appropriate for government to do. Um, They are not the best and the brightest, okay? You are not going to hear, when we're talking about something like the minimum wage, uh, complex uh, economic arguments from PhD candidates in the school of economics somewhere. Okay. That's not what you're going to hear. In fact, I, I would imagine I could probably pick out random people on Facebook and they could have just as informed, just as an intelligent debate as what you're about to hear, but you need to hear it. Cause these are the people making the laws and, uh, <laughs> 
Anyway, we're, we're going to start, and they don't identify themselves. Uh, uh, the main speaker we're going to talk to, I will identify for you here in a second. Uh, we'll start with a, a delegate from Baltimore City. I'm not sure which one it is. I'll try and track that down. Uh, but again, under the House rules, we don't have video, so we can't see who it is. Maybe some of you will recognize the voice. Uh, the House rules don't allow members to refer to each other by name. This is one of those old uh, civility customs they have, which if you're there in person, you can see who it is. But if you're only listening on audio later, you have a hard time identifying who the speaker is. By the way, that's not a coincidence. They do that on purpose so that people don't do things like I'm doing here and taking the video out or taking the audio out. When they go to video and the reasons they put it off so long is that you're going to be able to edit these things. And we've seen it and you've read our posts that have this with regard to committee hearings. Uh, when we have House floor debates like this, when there's video, it's going to be a fun time to be on Facebook. <laughs> I can tell you that, which is why they put it off. All right, let's let's just start here and uh, listen to the fun. Nay, inanity. All right, give it a second. Thank you, Madam Speaker. <laughs> okay, so. Real debate, real delegates on the house uh, on the floor of the house of delegates okay this preceded a vote in the house of delegates that passed a 15 dollar an hour minimum wage this is what you're getting this is what you're this is not this is not you know some debating club or some club meeting or some high school debate society this is the house of delegates <laughs> i'm i'm just listening to all the comments that are being made right now and i, I think that the chairman was really clear about the fact that this bill is a balanced bill, that it actually factors in the interests of businesses. But it's compromise. At the end of the day, on top of that, there is no place in the state of Maryland, I don't care where you are, Eastern Shore, Western Maryland, Baltimore City, Prince George's, Arundel, I don't, there is no place in the state where you can live off of the current minimum wage. And so to hear people talk about how, how, Keeping people's wages lower is going to help them because businesses can do better. That does not make. I'm pretty sure that's not the argument anybody made. I think the argument that was being made and is made is that when you raise the price of something, uh, you lower the demand for it and that people will there will be less people employed and working less as a result of a higher wage and that the regionalisms, which she kind of gives the back of her hand, is particularly important on that. But but again. We're not talking about PhD economics candidate here. Makes sense. That, 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 that is illogical. And so we need to do better. This is the richest state in the country. People look to Maryland as a leader. Let's lead on this. And on top of it, this is the most, how do I say this correctly? But this is a, a cautious bill. This Cautious bill. This bill will double our state's minimum wage in a over a ten year period from from the, over the ten year period when this is fully implemented. It is significantly higher than any of our neighbors except D.C., but it's also higher than D.C. But this is a cautious bill, a compromise. Bill moves slowly. We have things built in place of it, and so I cannot allow folks to to compare or to to create this wedge of saying. It's either support businesses, and if you don't support business, you're not supporting people. But if you don't support people, you're not supporting businesses. Yeah, I, that, yeah, that's that's how they determine critical issues of economic policy in the board in the House of Delegates, folks. And so that's why I'm voting green on this. 
that's a yes vote. Sponsor the of the bill. Thank you, Matt. All right, so here we got we we got one of the sponsors of the bill. There were a number of sponsors on the bill, but here's another one. Madam Chair, colleagues, for far too long, working families in Maryland have been struggling to cover the cost of their basic necessity. A $15 minimum wage will give over 573,000 working people a raise to help raise them. Now, those numbers are kind of suspect, given we have a state population of about 5 million people. Uh, I'm not sure that 10% of the state's population is earning the minimum wage. That number is suspect. But again, you know, no one's citing their sources here. From poverty. Who are the workers that will benefit from increasing the minimum wage to $15 an hour? So you, you think about the people who make minimum wage now uh, and see if it compares with, with the delegates' summation of who those people are. They're not just fast food workers. They, they have just, care workers. They're not just fast food workers, folks. They're single parents. They're seniors that want and deserve a standard of living Furthermore, research has shown... I'm going to get email for saying this. I, I, I know I'm probably going to be attacked. Certainly the intersectionals will point out the evil that I am and, you know, being a uh, pale penis person. But this is a debate on the floor of the Maryland House of Delegates. What you're hearing now is a duly elected delegate to the Maryland House of Delegates, a, a state legislature that's been in place for nearly four centuries. This is this is the level of of rhetoric that we get shown that women and people of color make up the vast majority of minimum wage workers in Maryland. Raising the minimum wage to $15 an hour will help reduce both gender and racial pay gaps. There is nowhere in the state of Maryland that a single wage earner can survive on less than $15 an hour. Both the House and the Senate work hard and long crafting this legislation to reach an agreement that will benefit both sides of the aisle. Yeah, this is good for business. They're absolutely convinced this is good for business. This is good for small business. Of course, if it was so good, why weren't they already paying their employees $15 an hour? Obviously, businesses who could afford to pay it would have been doing so. Colleagues, that's why I'm asking you Colleagues. to override the governor's veto. Thank you so much. There you go. Maryland House of Delegates. Madam Speaker. Gentleman from Baltimore County. I just wanted to make a brief point, and I, I feel bad because I think the gentleman from Charles County is not in the room, but if I heard him correctly, I think he makes the point in opposition to this for what a lot of us believe. If he, and I mean this with all due respect. But all due respect. Now, the gentleman from Charles County was someone who was uh, against this, overriding the governor's veto, and was pointing out some of the downside effects. So here is, here is, the, here is the retort. But you did say that your small business would take a hit. And my question would be, if you had the opportunity, again, I mean with all respect. With all respect. Why weren't some of these same employees not making that $15 an hour? Now, for most businesses, that's probably because they think that the market didn't bear that $15 an hour. which They think that. <laughs> so employers just arbitrarily decide wages. It, there is no actual market. 
You see, you see the level of economic intellectual rigor that you have in the General Assembly. Which is why I think that a lot of small business, I don't think that they're just greedy. I think that people have a difficult time in some of these small companies making this work. I think a lot of people have reiterated that, so I won't go too long. But that was my point. I wanted to at least make this legislation mandates to them to possibly do something they simply cannot do. And that's the right. point I wanted to make, so exactly. I appreciate it. And I'll be voting red. He's voting, now, that's someone voting against, again, uh, that we're talking about here, who, rather obtusely, in my opinion, was making the argument that this is something we can't afford. Why weren't they already doing it if they could do it? They're not greedy. Now, there was probably a better way to do that. But now we get again. So so with that, that you know, that's the pro argument. That's the, the height of the pro argument. Gentleman from Montgomery. Thank you, Madam Speaker. I'd like to bring a little bit of a different perspective on this. OK, so now we're going to hear from because I do want to spend a little time listening to this. Joe. This is this is uh, Delegate Gabrielle Acevedo from Del- from District 39. Who's going to uh, he's, he's got a bit of a speechifying that he's going to give here and it, it'll it'll wander around. When my family immigrated to the United States, my parents, both skilled workers, went to go work for minimum wage. My dad a skilled dental tech, went to go work in a laboratory, and when he asked for a dollar an hour increase, was humiliated by his employer by making him do timed tasks that were impossible to complete for his dollar an hour. Now, that story sounds suspect in some ways logically but okay this is this this is this is the mindset of the people who are passing the $15 hour minimum wage the, the very modest compromise $15 hour minimum wage my mother a trained architect went to go work for minimum wage at an architecture firm had to take a second job at night as a waitress these are not 18 year old kids on their first job these are two parents with two, adult, with two children and an elderly parent that they had to take care of moving to this country for the first time. Now, am I the only one who thinks there's probably a little bit more to the story than a trained architect having to take a minimum wage job at an architectural firm? I, I'm, I, you know, that, that, all right. And then work as a waitress, which probably made more money if, you, if you're following the story here. Okay. Message from the doctor. Sorry, hold on. Additional- Hotel. I love technology, by the way, if I've ever mentioned that. Kind of lost our place there. Hold on. Yes, I love technology. Right? That's correct. And they can, and they can, they, they will vote provisionally if they're not in their pre. Okay. All right. Sorry about this, folks. Live radio. This is what you get here. Let's see if we can do this again here. A little bit different angle. I'm not a business owner. Okay, I was a mayor of a town that bordered two states. Right, so here's another two one. Different economies. We've got uh, we've got this again. I'm just going to give you this little piece. We've got the whole three hour clip if you want to wade through this nonsense. But here we go. I don't know if this bill is going to impact that. I couldn't tell you. But what I can tell you is somebody who's making. $15-$16 an hour today when minimum wage becomes $15 an hour 
that person who has that little bit of buying power, that little bit of opportunity at the end of the month after you've paid your bills. Maybe you want some Air Max 95s. Maybe you can get them. Maybe you wait another month, but you're going to get them. That's going to go away because as the floor rises and you're still you're hovering here, you're coming back down, all that goes away. Your buying power will be gone. So I'm thinking of people like me who made $16 an hour, who worked with their hands, first time I ever wore a suit to a job in my life was here, okay? Somebody needs to at least think of those folks. And so that, that's kind of what I'm doing here. Like, again, again, it's many different angles, but I'm just thinking of the folks that have just got a little bit of gap between themselves and minimum wage, and that's going to erode away. And I really think that we could have done something different. I don't have the answer, but I think that we could have done something different. We that's, talk about small business. That's the that's the pro. Okay, so let's get back now. I mean, that's I, uh, I don't know. I, I, I don't. Send me your letters. I mean, I, I'm sorry if I feel elitist, but this is this is crazy. Let's go back down to Delegate Acevedo, and I apologize, I lost our place there. Businesses. We talk about caring for businesses. The number one concern, as I was sharing with one of my colleagues uh, in the Appropriations Committee, the number one concern for small businesses today. It's healthcare insurance and providing that for their employees. So if we really care about small... Remember, we're talking about a $15 hour minimum wage. Now we've meandered into healthcare. See, see where this is going. Businesses, as so many in this body love to profess, then let's pass Medicare for all so that small businesses can now afford to pay workers what they should be paying them. <laughs> yeah. If you really care about small businesses, let's try to work on the real impediments that prevent a small businesses from scaling from a small idea to a medium-sized business. But we are being intellectually lazy when we come here and we say... <laughs> this guy's accusing the, the legislature of being intellectually lazy. Look, uh, we, we talked about this. Ben Jealous proposed doing this on a statewide level. We talked about how much it would cost. It would be disastrously, disastrously expensive, untenable. Uh, they couldn't do it in, in New Hampshire or, I'm sorry, Vermont when they tried to do it because it would have ruined business because of the taxes that would be necessary to pay for it. They didn't implement it in California for the same reason. It failed on the ballot in Colorado for the same reason. It's, it's nonsensical and anti-factual to argue that health care for all would be good for businesses because then they wouldn't have to worry about paying for uh, health insurance of their employees. They just would be paying them a wage. And so they'd pay their minimum wage employees. They'd pay more. You understand that argument is nonsense. You understand. That. You're not a member of the legislature, most likely that this bill is going to kill small businesses and impact small businesses in a way that we've been saying in previous debates about the minimum wage and none of it has happened. Let's do right by working people. None of it has happened. None of it has happened. These guys think, these guys think this will lead to job growth. I'm not kidding. These guys really think a $15 minimum wage will lead to economic growth. Listen to them. People, they are looking at us as was rightly pointed out by the delegate from Charles County, there are a lot of us who had disagreements with this bill, myself included. I don't think it went far enough. Not far enough. What I would like us to do is index it to inflation so that we're ensuring that working people 
don't have to continue to come to Annapolis and prove to each and every one of us why it is they're struggling and they need a raise. It's a poverty parade that we are asking working people to engage in. So they want to set the minimum wage. Keep in mind, this wage is higher than the minimum wage nationally than in any surrounding state or locality. If you tie that to inflation, it always will be. These guys think they should set wages. I mean, that's what he's saying. The, the government should run health care and we in the legislature should set wages. That's what he's saying. And the businesses are complaining about it, who say something bad's going to happen. Never happened before. You wonder how these things pass? This is the mindset. That every single time we debate the minimum wage, they must prove why, why they're struggling to afford rent. They must prove why they're struggling to pay for their medication. They must prove why it is that they're struggling to survive in this state. Let's not be intellectually lazy about this debate. Let's provide the kind of nuance that is needed and that Marylanders, quite frankly, expect of each and every one of us. What nuance? You know, he's not citing facts. He's not citing statistics. He's not citing um, something that would rebut the notion that is that has been shown time and time again that if you raise the cost of labor beyond what it is able to, beyond what it is able to produce, you will reduce the demand and 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 therefore fewer people will be able to work. Yes, those who earn a minimum wage, who are continuing to earn that minimum wage, will make more, but few of, fewer of them will do it. Hours will be cut back. It has happened in the past. It will happen again. This is what happens when you raise the minimum wage. If raising the minimum wage were half the panacea that these folks are listening to, who are on the House of Delegates floor uh, voting for this, if it was the panacea they said... They wouldn't have repealed it in cities where they had it. You wouldn't see what you're seeing in, in New York City and other locations that have passed this stuff. States would be fighting over who has the highest minimum wage. I mean, we all know, well, we don't all know. I mean, that argument's nonsense. Raising wages to a certain point will absolutely have a disastrous effect. There's no question about that. These folks wanted to go further than this bill does. So anyway, I mean, you're listening. Go listen to the whole three-hour debate. And, and one of the things that's a little frustrating for me, there's almost no citation to any— I mean, if, if you're someone who believes in technocracy or whatever, I'm not one of those people. This is not an, you know, he's talking about being intellectually lazy. There's no intellectual intellectuality that's going on in any of these debates. There's no real serious public policy discussion that's going on. Okay. This is, I mean, I've literally seen Facebook fights that, that spew talking points that were as well thought out as what we're hearing on the House floor. On an issue that has an enormous effect on our state's economy. Anyway, you get the idea. It's it's you wonder why things are the way they are. You just heard it. And a lot of these people don't get elected without gerrymandering. It's true. But did you hear what your delegate said about it? Do you know? Do you even know who your delegate is? Many of you will. But most people couldn't.
And that's a big part of the problem as well. It's why we do what we do here. There are plenty of amazing women politicians. Name one. Uh, Senator Hillary Rodham Clinton. Awful. How is she awful? Hates freedom. You are invited to the 2020 Red Maryland Leadership Conference, which comes at you on Saturday, January the 11th, 2020, from the Doubletree Hotel in Annapolis. Join us as we hear guest speakers, including Commerce Secretary Kelly Schultz, Delegate Kathy Shalega, Doug Mayer from the 2018 Hogan for Governor campaign, Andrew Langer and Jerry Rogers from WBAL Radio, Maria Sophia, the chair of the Maryland Young Republicans, Ian Patrick Hines, Rory McShane, and a host of other fantastic speakers. This conference will help prepare the groundwork for your next election success and the success of conservatism across the state. Tickets are on sale now. The conference sold out in 2019, so you are not going to want to miss out on buying your tickets today. Go to redmarylandconference.com to learn how to buy your ticket, your sponsorship, or your vendor table. That's redmarylandconference.com. Go buy your tickets today for the 2020 Red Maryland Leadership Conference. We are back. Red Maryland Radio on the Red Maryland Network. Only the best in grading bumper music That's here right. on the network. <laughs> I am Brian. He is Greg. The, the melodic styling of here. Twisted Sister. Yeah. Uh, nice. That was, a, that was a Be Cruel to Your Skull. I think people could uh, figure a, that out. A duet with Alice Cooper. We didn't get to the Alice Cooper part. That's okay. Fun song. It is a fun song. Um, what's not fun, Greg, this continues to be the Kerwin Commission. And uh, we are moving. Dun, dun, dun. Beware the Ides of October. <laughs> well, yes, that, that is very true. We are moving. Uh, we're moving down the road of knowing what the Kerwin Commission is going to recommend. As as Greg said earlier, he told me in the pre-show. It well, is a, okay. uh, Go ahead. Let's see at, if you can do it. The light at the end of the tunnel is the, is actually a train. And it's heading I, straight I said it us. so much better. Than you that. did. The light coming down the tunnel is getting brighter, and we know that it's a train. Yes, that's what's coming. And ne- by this time next week, we'll have a better idea of of exactly um, how much it's going to cost. We have a pretty lot. good idea of that anyway. It's about $4 <laughs> billion dollars a year. Um, how much is going to be shunted down to the counties? We're starting to get an idea of what that is. And whether there's going to be any suggestion by the Kerwin Commission to slow this implementation or whether they're going to go pedal to the metal, which is what they've been proposing so far. So um, and and we're supposed to get some ideas about how they're going to pay for this. <laughs> the funding formula for this new four Can't billion on the this new four billion dollars of uh uh, operating spending that we don't currently have 10 percent of the budget is going to have to yeah exactly it represents about 10 percent of our annual spending has to come from somewhere um and since we already have a structural deficit though we've had some some rosy projections on on um revenue of late 
Uh, it's nowhere near enough and certainly not enough to fund all the mandated spending that the legislature's already, you know, shoved down our throats. And will continue to shove down our throats. So so this is where we are. And this is kind of an update. We're not going to do an extended segment here. No, no, we're not. Um, but, I, I, again, we would recommend that if you want all the nitty-gritty, wonky details of this, right. uh, go listen to our friends at the Conduit Street Podcast at the Maryland Association of Counties. Yeah, their latest M- podcast just dropped about, what, an hour and a half, two hours yeah. ago. mdcounties.org. And they go into just deep into yeah. the funding formulas, How who's getting what. Uh, there was also a blog piece over uh, on their blog, and that's at uh, the Conduit Street blog. Uh, right. What's that? Conduitstreet.mdcounties.org if you want to take a look for yourself. Right. And it's got the projections up there, and it just goes soup to nuts um, about how, who's getting what, what the projections are, different scenarios for who gets what. They do a far better job talking about those details than uh, than we possibly could. And, right? and they, go into, they go into, oh, our live video stopped. Well, we're going to have to keep going. We'll just <laughs> we'll just start again. Uh, but let me see if we can get us going here. But they go into they go into a lot of detail, probably far more detail than people necessarily need or want. Right. Uh, but and they also come from the perspective of they're representing the counties who are essentially getting a, a gigantic unfunded mandate coming down their way. Yes. And this is obviously the number one issue for them in the coming legislative session. Now, those guys aren't opposed to massive increases in taxes and spending, as Brian and I are. Um, and their their constituency isn't necessarily as opposed right. to that as we are. But it's a pretty big lift, as they would say. And they're very conscious of the difficulty and the difficulty involved, uh, which is passing insanely high insanely unpopular tax increases on basically all Marylanders in order to pay for um, a a huge expansion. And as the governor points out, and as we've pointed out, and as the Kerwin Commission has not made the definitive case, there's there's no definitive evidence that spending this money will result in the increases that justify this enormous of an expenditure. Uh, the commission is, is and the Democrats who are going to put, try to push this through the legislature, as we pointed out before, I'm not going to try to beat a dead horse there. They're simply going to assume that we have to do this and that if we do this, we'll have the best schools. No one is going to make a compelling, detailed policy argument that spending an additional $4 billion will get us massively increased results because they can't. The science is not there. The experience is not there. The correlation between increasing teacher pay and educational results, whether it's closing the education gap, mm-hmm. whether it's college readiness, whatever the measure they want to use is, the correlation is not there. Or even the expansion of teachers, because one of the th- you know, one of the things that the unions and the Democrats have been talking about for years is, oh, we need right. to reduce class size. Well, there's no evidence that shows uh, beyond a certain point. That reducing class sizes creates more right. effective effective learning environments. Because from a social science perspective, there are so many other factors that go into educational outcomes other than amounts spent 
per pupil. And these things are not being addressed by Corwin. They're not addressing two-parent right, households. It's not, They're it's, not addressing socioeconomic concerns. They're right. only addressing classroom concerns and, for the most part, increasing the amount of dollars spent. <clears throat> I got into it on Twitter this morning, and yesterday and this morning, with uh, Senator Bill Ferguson, who is a member of the Corwin Commission, who's a member of this right. funding commission. And he's like, well, don't we want highly, you know— you know, very effective schools. You know, very. Don't we want? Don't we want good school? You know, very, don't you care about your children, Brian? High, 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 uh, high value schools. Like, no, I don't. I want. I want highly effective schools. I don't want high cost schools. And all we're doing, getting from Kerwin, right. is high cost schools. All we're doing is increasing the expense of education. Correct. Increasing the burden on working families. Without actually increasing educational effectiveness and efficiency. We're not increasing accountability. We're not increasing anything other than how much money we're throwing at the problem. And we haven't even done a good job, Greg, of evaluating what we've done in the past. We have not done a good job of evaluating what the Thornton Commission changes did, what the Thornton Commission recommendations did, what the extra money spent on Thornton (coughs) did. And now, you know... Thornton's done. Nobody knows if it worked or not, but let's double down on it and Kerwin and keep doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results. Right. And one of the reasons we mention it, obviously, is to keep you updated and, and to encourage you, because I had I was speaking with someone this week um, who's a regular listener. Thank you for listening. But it's like, I'm not hearing this anywhere else. Why isn't anybody else talking about this? The governor is talking about it. Um, the governor is messaging on this, but a real sincere talk this should be the number one news story in the state of maryland certainly the number one political story in the state of maryland should be huge tax increases coming down the pipe uh through this Kerwin commission and all this, of the this massive shows- new program of increased spent that should be the number one issue everybody should be talking about all it. of the local radio talk shows should be talking about yes it, but they're there's no. almost I mean, there's there's a there's an article about them meeting, you know, they continue to talk about it. most. And we we talked about the polling that came out right. the other week. Everybody's in favor of it. Yet when you look at the poll results, most people don't even know what it is. Right. It, there's not detailed reporting on what they're saying, what they're considering, what they're putting forward. And when that starts to come out, this is going to change, especially when you see the price tag. Oh, yeah. And it's and they're. And especially as conservatives, we need to get in front of this because, look, the Baltimore Sun and the Washington Post and a lot of this other news meeting, including, you know, our uh, taxpayer, you know, subsidized friends in public radio and public TV, they're going to carry the water for this. Of course they are. They're just going to rehash the Democratic talking points here. You know, their story, I can tell you right now what their stories are going to be. Um, the debate on whether to improve education and and the pushback on taxes is going to be the courage of progressive uh, legislators to raise taxes, which is unpopular. You know, it's always it's always a profile in courage when Democrats raise taxes. Of course, um, no, no discussion as to whether uh, you're getting the value. I mean, what we want, Senator Ferguson is not high-achieving schools. We want high-value schools. We want value for our tax dollars. That you can't show us. That you can't prove. That is not what you're pushing forward. We are going to spend more money and not get much for it. Right. Is a bad investment, and it's a it, and it's a horrible thing to, imp- to increase the burden on tax. And by the way, we're all going to pay it. 
The idea that somebody else is going to pay it other than you, it's going to be, you know, it's going to be gamblers that are going to pay for it, or it's going to be uh, potheads that are going to pay for it, or it's going to be the one percenters that are going to pay for it. No, we're all going to pay for it in our property taxes, in our sales tax increase, in in uh, income tax increases, both at the state and at the county level. We're going to get crushed with all kinds of increased taxes. It's not going to be just one it's going to be spread across the board both on the state and local level to pay for this it's not going to be worth it and i want to point out something right here too the maryland the median income in the state of maryland is ninety eight thousand three hundred ninety three dollars if you start talking about sixty eight hundred dollars in tax increases for every family in the state of maryland you're talking about a, an additional basically what seven seven and a half percent um increased burden on Maryland families, you know, when you compare that to their income, that's right. real money. That's yeah. real money. Nobody, these people don't have seven and a half percent extra dollars to turn over to the government. You know, basically on a hope and a prayer that something that they're doing is effective. Just yeah. throwing money at the problem—that's immoral, quite frankly. Yeah. So I mean, this is this is so this is why we're talking about it. It's why we're going to keep talking about it. It's why we've been talking about it for over a year, and why we hope those of you who hear it who are aware of this. Help us out. Share this stuff. Get the word out. You know, again, the governor's messaging about this. The, the information's out there. Our friends at the Conduit Street uh, podcast, mdcounties.org, have it in, in excruciating detail. And not just from some right-wing blog. These guys are not that. Right. But you can see the numbers. It's, it's, it's right there the in plain sight. And um, you don't want to wake up in the middle of session or at the end of session and start hearing and start reading in the paper how your taxes went up and say, how did this happen? We're telling you it's happening. Yeah, and I understand that to a certain extent, you know, both on this, on Pimlico and a lot of other things, we are we are the old, but we're, we're William F. Buckley. We are standing athwart history yelling stop. And I get that. But you guys got to help. I mean, this is something that you need to be talking about with everybody you know. Because right. everybody who lives in Maryland, no matter how much money they make, if they're making minimum wage or they've got millions of dollars, everybody is going to feel the burn and feel the pain of this when it comes down the pike. Now, as Greg mentioned earlier, next Tuesday, October 15th, the Ides of October, as Greg pointed out, right. is when we're going to find out exactly what this funding committee came up with. Now, let me remind you, this funding committee made up of 25 individuals, damn near all of them Democrats, Damn near all of them true believer Democrats, uh, you know, with a couple of, you know, two or three Republicans thrown in there just to say that they were there, is going to release. And who will probably vote against the recommendation. Absolutely will vote against the recommendations. If they if they don't, then they, they're going to have. Believe uh, me, the, the budget secretary is on this work group. He, yeah. he knows how impossible this is going to be. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, we're going to know next uh, Tuesday. We're going to look. I'll, spoiler. We're talking about this next week. Sure. Okay. This sure. is going to be the story next week. It's going to be sure. the top Even if they try week. to dodge it somehow, it'll still be the big story next week. Absolutely. Right. But we're going to know exactly how much we are going to be expected to pay. And I'll tell you right now, it ain't pretty. Yep. It ain't pretty at all. And this is going to become the issue of the session. It's going to become the issue of the 2022 um, state and legislative elections will be the issue of the gubernatorial election. Yeah. Just tell you that straight up right now. Absolutely. Um, so just public service announcement. I know a lot of people are talking about 
getting on a bus and going to some rally next week, and they're talking about going to a two-way rally in a couple weeks and all this stuff in Washington. Scrap those plans. Stay home. This is important. This affects you more than it going to a rally in Washington is going to affect you. It's going to hurt you and your families. Absolutely. And you need to just put aside Washington right now, forget Washington, and think about how much pain it's going to be for you, your kids, you know, your business to continue to live in Maryland, continue to survive here in the state of Maryland once the Kerwin Commission uh, recommendations are announced and if those Kerwin Commission recommendations are adopted by the General Assembly. This is yeah. real pain. This isn't yeah. this isn't pain, you know, that's just imaginary. This is yeah. real pain. And, and, and look, we don't need to go on whole thing about, I mean, this is why we do Red Maryland. These kinds of stories need more discussion. They don't get what it, people get wrapped up in the national stuff, you know, and, and unfortunately, even some of the talk radio shows that are based locally aren't going to be talking about it. You're not going to hear this on Rush Limbaugh show. You're not going to hear this on Fox News. You're not going to Mark Levin's not going to be talking about it. Uh, you know, our friend Dan Bongino is not going to be talking about this. This is a huge issue that should be front and like I said, this should be the number one political story right now. All the Michigas in in Washington will play itself out. This is going. This is coming up right now. So, you know, I, I know there are a lot of people who listen to this who get caught up in that bubble. And we, we always kind of have to beg and plead to, to, to break through there a little bit. Um, this is this is important. And the fact is, this is a winnable issue. I understand the numbers in the General Assembly, but the governor's dug his heels in. And he's opposed to this. They're going to have to they're going to have to come up with five Democrat state senators who are going to vote for these things. It's it's far from a done deal that this is going to happen. And and if we turn up the your neighbors are not going to like the fact that their taxes are going to go up $6,000 per family per year because that's how much it's going to take to fund this. Yeah. So, so if you know your state senator, you better make sure that they understand your position on this because, as Greg said, this is, you know, he needs five state senators to flip to avoid the filibuster. And our Republicans better, and I mean better, be ready to filibuster this stuff. I know that there are some Republican state senators out there who just kind of go along to get along, introducing stupid bills about saving pets and stuff like that, and they don't want to fight the big fights. This is the fight. You yeah. better be in it. Yeah. And 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 right now you got to let your neighbors know about your friends. Live. So that's why we're doing. That's why we're talking about. So we're going to keep talking about it. Um, the information's there. You can go to redmaryland.com and get it all and with all the links for that. All right. Let's, let's take a quick break. Palette cleanser. And do you just back. want to play a palate cleanser music, or do you want to go to a full break? Play the palate. Yeah, twenty just of play the palate cleanser because we're going to change gears. And so. now for something completely different. Yeah. Everybody, shut up. It's a fun song. By the way. Assuming we don't lose power. Of nouns and prepositions. 
here we go. So that's yeah. uh, Weird Al Yankovic's War Crimes. Word Crimes, yeah. You know, Greg, there used to be a show yes. on this network, and they used to play a particular clip. Um, do you know what the clip I'm talking about? Oh, that was a copyrighted feature. It was of that a copyrighted show. feature, but that show's long gone apparently and never coming back. So let's go ahead and 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 every day people judge you by the words you use. Yes, right. yes, indeed. So let's set this up. So we talked about this extensively during. It's a good show. The guy on that was a good show. During good last host. week's show. Yes, um, we talked about Jim Rosepeep, state senator. Speaking of state senators, from is um, that the correct pronunciation? Since we're going to be talking about the correct <laughs> Rosa pronunciation. Peep? Is it Rosa Pepe? Rosa Pep, Rosa Peep. I don't know. I haven't asked anybody online yet. Okay. Um, so let's go ahead and play John the original clip that started it all, uh, our discussion of this last week when we asked. Well, that's, so, we, so we played this. This is, this is from. Well, that's not the original clip. but This is the original clip. No, that's the video that I posted, with, including the original clip. So you don't want me to pay that? I'll play that. it. I don't give a damn. Well, wait a minute. I sent you a, I literally sent it to you in the format, dude. The, tw- the tweet. This is what I brought up. That I sent you the original tweet in the format, too. Did I not? I don't know. It doesn't matter. Um, <laughs> no, you didn't. No, I didn't. I'm a dummy. Okay, good. Yeah, um, it's not my fault. <laughs> you bastard. Trying to make me. They were to show married. Me thank you. All right, you can play. You can play this clip. Okay, fine. Is this this is G- Senator Jim Rosa Peep. Okay, so this is a video you produced. I produced this, yes. Well, with Peter Fancho looking at running for governor, I am exploring running for controller. Uh, what did he say? Controller. Controller. Right. Controller. Can we play the whole thing? Play the whole thing. I am exploring running for controller. Running for controller. And it That's the kind of work I could do at controller statewide. Controller. But by the way, just in case you wanted to know, just in case you were clear, this guy... Jim Rosapeep? I know Maryland. I- yeah, okay. Right. He knows why he's a Democrat, too. Don't get, don't lose that in the discussion, because that was part of that clip. So yeah. we, um, we pointed out the fact that he pronounced the office currently held by Peter Francho that he was discussing running for, which is spelled C-O-M-P-T-R-O-L-L-E-R, as controller. All right. Now, I think... Some people got put aside as as to whether we were making some sort of semantic argument. We're actually making a much bigger political argument. Yes, we are. Um, controller, while if you if you open the dictionary, and I don't think we've ever disputed this, controller is a correct pronunciation of that word. Whether comptroller is considered by, depending on what dictionary you look at, as an alternate pronunciation or a variant pronunciation, um, or whether... In decades past, it was considered more of a mispronunciation. The undisputed reality is that in 2019, and for some time before that, as we'll, as we'll detail here in a second, the office has been popularly referred to in Maryland as comptroller. Right. It is referred to as the comptroller. And, and that is how 99% of Marylanders pronounce the office. That's how the holders of the office previous candidates to let's, the office let's play some of those clips and Greg. and to prove that point we've got here oh, the, it's on the other yeah. it's on the other one so we've got vi- we've got videos from previous holders of the office of oh, yeah. comptroller here's one perhaps the most famous in modern times to hold the office of comptroller the honorable louis goldstein 
President of the Senate, now I'm in state control. Just in the last several years, Carver, Charles, and St. Mary's. State Comptroller. Now, he has a bit of an accent, a bit of a Maryland accent, I'd hasten to point out. And there are actually people who try to say what you just heard was him saying controller. Yeah. But I, but it's comptroller. And it gets to the bigger point. But let's talk about the current holder of the office. The current Peter holder of the office. What does he say, Greg? What, is, what does this man say? Just ask him. I'm Peter Franchot, your Maryland State Comptroller. Comptroller. And it's been the honor of a Comptroller. Comptroller, yeah. Comptroller. Comptroller. Now, what happened after our segment the other week is that we got into this, this, this huge kerfuffle on Twitter. Yes. Where, um, not with Jim Rosepeppy, by the way, who I haven't heard from on this. But it began with um, the uh, Baltimore Sun reporters yes. arguing that, no, controller is a correct pronunciation. He's not mispronouncing it. And some back and forth on that. Brian trolling and, you know, other people getting involved. Some other reporters saying, well, that's kind of how I've always, I've always heard it and always said it. And then they appealed to. I don't know if we want to skip to this point yet. Well, first, is this the point but, to bring this? But here's in? the thing. Okay, so look. First, it was Justin Fenton, right, of, of, of from the Sun, right, and then Luke Broadwater from the Sun got right. involved, and then Aaron Cox, who used to work for the Sun but now works for the Post for the Washington Post, right. said, "No, it's Comptroller. It's always been Comptroller. I've always heard it as Comptroller." Right, and then you get, you know, all these other people involved. You get some of these media people saying, "Oh, well, I guess I've been saying it wrong all those all these years," and then. Pam Wood from the Baltimore Sun, she is the one who ultimately um, appealed to appealed to John McIntyre, the grammar Nazi at the Sun. Right. So, so let's let's set that up a little. John McIntyre, if you're not familiar, and I'm and I'm familiar with his work. I find him, you know, mildly amusing, certainly knowledgeable. He is the the uh, internal expert, the uh, copy uh, editing expert, which is a dying art. In fairness. Um, at the Baltimore Sun. And, of course, if you remember the great clip from The Wire where they had the old grizzled editor, you know, the details still reside in the Baltimore Sun. Uh, I don't know if that's true anymore. But he comes out and does a little video with his bow tie, having been asked what the proper pronunciation of C-O-M-P-T-R-O-L-L-E-R is, and points out the etymological history of the word, how it was originally spelled controller, comes from the... Uh, it comes from the old the, the old French word, and at some time in the 1500s, the, there was a, a change in the English language where they wanted to make it more to its Latin roots, so it would go back to computare instead of the French variant. So it, they they changed the spelling, but kept the the original pronunciation. It, it's all very interesting. He ended up writing an article about this in the Baltimore Sun. Where he kind of he kind of um, took out any reference to Red Maryland, shocking, or to that, and and he's deleted that video. I think the one thing he said in the video was interesting was this. I don't was that he mentioned that there was this alternate pronunciation, but he says I don't see where that adds anything. Yeah, you know, and his little bow tie, and if you see him on, and he got very mad at us because we pushed back, uh, particularly me, pushed back on the idea that he was missing the point. Yes. Okay. Everybody involved who was complaining about uh, us ragging right. on Jim Rosapep for mispronouncing how you pronounce comptroller right. completely missed the point. Here's the point. 
the point is not a semantic argument as to whether controller is a correct pronunciation of the word. That's not the issue. The issue is whether is the political subtext of a candidate for comptroller eschewing the very popular, well-established regional variant of the pronunciation of the word comptroller used by 99% of Marylanders of every educational level, of every income level, of every part of the state, yeah, of every party, of every race, of every creed, of background, right. The holders At, of the office for themselves. years, it, the traditional, if I can be so bold, and you may traditional custom and usage pronunciation of the word comptroller, that he was eschewing that in favor of this 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 technically accurate pronunciation says more about how out of touch someone like Jim Rosapep, who's originally from New York, is even though he's lived here for 20 years or whatever, whatever it is, out of touch with, and we compared it to the previous Democratic nominee, Ben Jealous, for governor, who talked about the state Supreme Court instead of the Court of Appeals. The, the point was you have people who are out of touch with the majority of Marylanders, which is a theme within the Maryland Democratic Party. Well, it's also a theme too, Greg, and I, wanna, I hasten to point this out. It's a theme within this entire conversation that we had online. Where you have, are you getting to that? Uh, yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. Right. It, it, and to Continue. Brian's, to Brian's point, it was, and that was underlined by the people who were defending Jim Rosapap here. Okay. The people defending him were reporters. And by the way, we didn't, we didn't attack Justin Fenton. Okay. We had a video clip and we talked about the pronunciation on a video clip. Why Justin Fenton feels obligated to jump in and defend this pronunciation as as you know as correct is interesting that all these reporters felt the need to jump in on this and it's interesting they looped in eventually the lieutenant governor got involved in this he may be doing a video about this i'd be curious to see what he says on this peter franchot got involved but kind of ducked the issue we obviously know how he pronounces it and and they all ducked it. The 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 point is, it was a very elitist defense. Yes. Of this, and that's the point. And when I made that point on Twitter, none of these guys pushed back on that idea. The popular politics of pronunciation is what's at issue here. Jim Rosapep is appealing to a very effete, elitist, um, white progressive element within the democratic party and even they probably think he's full of it on this pronunciation and and by the way and and by the way when he says at the end and to prove that not only was the pronunciation of the term but at the end he says and i remember why i'm a democrat right Uh, juxtaposing himself with peter francho who apparently has forgotten why he's a democrat because he's going along with governor hogan that's the subtext of the pronunciation that's why we brought it up that's why we put it and i guarantee goddamn to you low level shock shockery there i guarantee that's great folks that's not even me i guarantee goddamn to you that if that senator jim rosapep will not consent continue to call pronounce the word controller from now until november 2022 if he doesn't if he does ultimately run, I guarantee you that he will change his pronunciation and go back to the traditional regional variant, whatever you want to call it, comptroller, if he ends up getting serious into this race. 
and and in no small part because we raise this issue and because we point out and other candidates will take note of the fact that he is sending a message through his choice of pronunciation, which is interesting because John McIntyre eventually wrote a piece on this at the Baltimore Sun where he he backtracked a little bit. He backtracked a lot. And basically acknowledged that both pronunciations and both both spellings were modern both he didn't say both were acceptable he didn't go quite that far but during this during this twitter debate he 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 shares a an authority that he references in which the authority which he tried to he tried to back away from later on when we called him on it referred to the to the pronunciation as comptroller as come as appearing semi literate yeah which, by the way, if you want to, if you look up in the dictionary what semi-literate means, it's not a compliment. No, it's someone who can speak but not write the English language. Yeah. Okay. Um, he's saying it, what John McIntyre was citing an authority saying that if you say comptroller, you are semi-literate, and that ninety-five percent of Marylanders who pronounce it in this way, including, including the governor and the comptroller himself, right, were semi-literate, and his predecessors are semi-literate, right. Yeah, he really – and he still doesn't understand – And he, he know, got mad at me for calling him elitist, that that was well, the yeah, epitome got, of elitism. And he got By mad. the way, go to go – to, I'm sorry, I'm interrupting. I apologize. I'm a little bit of a roll there. I'm going to let you have the floor. Go to his, go to his uh, Twitter feed. Look at his Twitter feed. He got mad at us for calling him elitist and left wing. Go read his Twitter feed. Yeah. <laughs> and he got mad for us calling him out for, say, for calling people semi-literate. It's like, you know – you don't quote something like that unless you believe it. It was very clear that you do. You don't type something like that unless that's the point that you're trying to make. You know, this entirety of this conversation, as Greg pointed out, was kind of the difference, showing the difference between people who work in the journalism field and normal people. And I hate to say say it like that, but it's true. You know, it's it's everybody reads the word comptroller. And knows that it's the comptroller, particularly here in Maryland. I think I made this point this week. I'm going to make last week. I'm going to make it again. If somebody, if if a if a weather personality came on television and said, "Oh, the high temperature is uh, it's going to be 72 in Riviera Beach, and it's going to be 71 in Tosin, and then it's going to be uh, it's going to be 68 down in Bowie and 67 over in Hagerstown." Uh, and then down there, uh, we're having some severe weather in Worcester County. You would think that person's an idiot who's not from here because they can't actually speak the local vernacular. And that's what it is. Yes, controller and comptroller is technically correct in the dictionary. But everybody and their brother, and for time immemorial, has said comptroller in the state of Maryland. And everybody, as Greg pointed out, and we'll wrap, wrap this segment up on this, the fact that the people arguing that controller was acceptable shows how out of touch they are with the real reality of the people they cover here in the state of Maryland. End of yeah. sermon. Yeah, and I would say it's, you know, comptroller is even more ubiquitous than most of those regionalisms you just mentioned. I mean, it is, it, you are really, you are really in a very small part of the, of the, of the normal distribution curve, if you insist that controller is the only—I mean, you are pretty a fetist 
effete elitist if you insist that controller is the correct way to pronounce that. Yeah. And that was the that was the point that we were making. Uh, anyway, but as you say, the point has been made. So there you go. The point has been made, and that's going to bring a uh, bring a, starts bringing a close to this episode. Let's wrap it up. Good um, stuff. Good stuff. It is good stuff. High, tight, and out of sight. Thank you, everybody, for listening to this week's show of Red Maryland Radio. Um, sorry for everybody on the Facebook feed that it went up in two parts, but that's okay. Um, not through no fault of our own, just saying. Uh, again, thanks to Andrew Langer for having me I on. I think John last... McIntyre tried to knock us off. <laughs> having me on WBAL last night. Of course, Greg's on uh, WGMD every Thursday at 7.50 a.m. Yes, Stay thank tuned you, to the flagship, RedMaryland.com. Lots of stuff going uh, up this week. Greg's got some new stuff that's posting over the weekend. Uh, so that's going to be yes. a good time. And, of course, we're all over the Pimlico deal, like stink on you-know-what. So um, Some good stuff, some good writing. And, by the way, the only place to give you and Mark kudos – the only place where there's a pushback on any of this. Yeah, it's ridiculous. That Every no place else, they're this. doing a victory lap, and you and Mark Unkefer are the only people pointing out that this is not a good idea. Right. Like I said, standing athwart history, yelling stop. I mean, that's, you know. But, I, yeah, okay. Futility aside, I bet there are other people who, who agree with us. Right. Where the hell are they? I, man, I don't. Well, first off, they're not in the blogosphere. I'll tell you that much. But um, they're not they're not online. They're too busy fighting other fights, I right. guess. Um, um, be sure to subscribe. RedMaryland.com slash subscribe. Yes. We had some we tried something new with our newsletter distribution and it was just a disaster. And we've gone back to our old provider now. So um, that's what you get for trying to save a few bucks. But uh, be that as it may. Make sure that you get the newsletter delivered to your inbox every week. And, of course, subscribe to Red Maryland Network Programming. It shows like this one. Download the device of your choice, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, uh, TuneIn Radio app, Google Play, wherever you get your podcasts, it's available. Right, right. And uh, just subscribe. And, of course, um, please uh, become a patron, patreon.com slash redmaryland. Thank you to all our patrons for all of your support in helping us uh, continue to grow this show continued momentum every week. We get in a couple new people, so we appreciate Thank your you. support on that. The Red Maryland Leadership Conference is coming up this, uh, you know, this um, January 11th. January 11th. Thank you. Yes. Doubletree Hotel in Annapolis. We have a legislative leadership panel. Yes. I'll bet they're going to talk about Kerwin. You're, you're, and I'll bet and they'll we, talk about Pimlico. And we've got a couple of new speakers that we, we want We do have new speakers up. Delegate Laura Arakan will join us uh, for the conference as well. And we're also going to uh, have Mike Doherty from the Maryland State Rifle Pistol Association on part of our uh, part of our discussion on the gun issue. So we're really looking great panel to on that. guns. Great legislative panel. We were talking about this before the show. Yeah. Great panel on women in politics. Um, great panel pro-life panel. Lots of great speakers talking about everything from policy to politics, to, to winning a nuts, damn election, to nuts and bolts. Yeah. Um, you know, this is going to be. Oh, Congressman uh, Harris, too. Congressman like, Harris, of course, which we announced before, who was a big hit last year. Um, and, and we keep announcing them. Tickets are starting to move out, folks. We've got a few more than we had last year. We've still got plenty of tickets, but they're going to sell out. So if you're thinking, well, I'll wait till January to buy it. Don't, because we sold out a month early last year. Yeah. And. You know, even though we we set aside some more room this year, that's that's what we're shooting for now. So if you're thinking about going, go get the tickets. We're starting to see it pick up. 
Uh, RedMarylandConference.com. RedMarylandConference.com. It's discounted price for college Republicans, discounted Absolutely. price for young Republicans. So if you're part of those groups, make sure to go uh, take advantage of those discounted rates for you. And we want to see everybody out there on uh, on January 11th. And we're still working on one or two more speakers, by the way. Yeah, we're I don't not know how done we're going to fit them into the agenda at this point. We're but, not done announcing um, them, but we've got a fan. We've got a couple of irons. In the what fire. we've got locked in is fantastic. It could even get better. Yeah, we got a couple of irons in the fire, as they might say. Irons in the fire. Irons in the fire. That's how they say in Pasadena. But it will sell out. It's <laughs> going do. to sell out, folks. Um, but there's plenty of tickets available now, so go buy Buy them now, redmarylandconference.com. Of course, we are on social media, facebook.com slash redmaryland. We are on Instagram at redmaryland. We are on Twitter at redmaryland. Folks, please like us on social media. Please share us and share our content with your friends, family, neighbors, colleagues, coworkers, co-religious, in-laws, outlaws, everybody you know, please. Because, look, as Greg said earlier— as 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 our listener that talked to you said earlier, yes, nobody else is talking about this. Right. You are not getting this perspective anywhere else. Right. If you share Brian's article on how bad the the Pimlico deal is, I guarantee you, your friends are not going to see a hundred stories like that on their feed. Yeah. <laughs> okay. They're going to see you know th- that th- you know some congressman got a haircut. They'll see that left and right. The clickbait nonsense that goes on on the federal level. But this is a really serious issue. Uh, that doesn't get anywhere near enough coverage. So please do share those articles. Share this. Share this podcast. Let your friends know what's share going on. It Tell in them to your listen. Facebook groups on LinkedIn on and you know wherever on your wall. Invite look again on your wall at home. <laughs> look, if everybody print, it, print out a picture. If everybody invites five friends to like Red Maryland, and everybody you know even just one of those people likes Red Maryland, we grow our reach exponentially. That is exactly what would happen, yes. And we appreciate everything that you guys can do to help us continue to grow in that regard. If you want to contact us, redmaryland.gmail.com is how you can do that. Good old-fashioned electronic Call mail. or text Red Maryland Talkback line at 410-205-4875. What's that number? 410-205-4875, and we will feature your comments on a future Red Maryland Network program. Love to hear it. Now, don't forget, next week, we're talking Kerwin. Yes. We're also talking Red Maryland poll. The poll is still open Vote. until Tuesday, Vote. October Vote. the 15th. Uh, uh, Tuesday, October the 15th at 5 p.m. So we're going to have Kerwin and poll results next week. Great poll questions not, this month, too. If that's not enough to get you to tune in, man, I don't know what's going to get you to tune in. Okay? It's I mean, be that's, pretty good. That is high-quality content if I do it's say be pretty so good. myself. Greg, any final thoughts? Uh, everybody, thanks for listening. Uh, again, please do share this stuff. A lot of, a lot of big stuff that's happening behind the scenes. And, and you know... We always say it. This is why we do what we do, and some weeks you feel it more than others. This is definitely one of those. For everybody here at the network, thank you very much for listening. For Greg Klein, I am Brian Grievous. You have been listening to Red Maryland Radio on the Red Maryland Network. Oh, radio, tell me everything.